Okay, so um, today we're going to going to start a study through the book of uh, of Revelation. Um, to be honest, I, I I'm approaching this study um, through this book with um, a lot of fear, trepidation, a lot of trembling. Um, you know, I, I've I've extensively studied the book, and I you know I believe that I can walk through it. Uh, exegetically understanding how it ties to the uh, to the rest of the scripture but but you and I both know that um, there are thousands thousands upon thousands of books and sermons on on John's revelation most of which I would probably just as soon use for kindling than than to study through and uh, this is um, it's very emotional for people, you know, you, you've probably, you know, heard lots of things. You see lots of things on, on the Internet, on Facebook and YouTube about biblical prophecy. And this is being fulfilled and all, all these kind of things going on. To be honest with you, um, even even before we before I began uh, posting anything, before I began uh, putting outlines on the on the website or, or anything like that, you know, and all those are available on uh, dot com. before I even started doing that I preached through a sermon uh, I preached through a revelation chapter 2 uh, I just preached one sermon on the church at Pergamum that was it you know it was just for the for the church and and it was uh, you know it was you know what, what I thought God was leading me to do for the that congregation at that time and when I posted the sermon I guess just the name the name revelation you know, when you put that in a post of any kind, I guess that that, um, you know, it hits all the search engines. And and from from that moment, you know, I started getting all the all the wackos coming out telling me about this and that. And, you know, all this prophecy fulfilled over here and then the nuclear bombs and, the you know, welcome to the Illuminati, you know, just all this craziness just uh, started coming at me all at one time, you know, just just from I, I wasn't even talking about those things. I was talking. I, I preached through uh, a sermon of what the, the Jesus was speaking to that church in, in Pergamum, and I was preaching it. You know, just it was tw- uh, verses chapter two of Revelation, verses twelve through seventeen. It wasn't. We wasn't talking about dragons and beasts and seven-headed whatevers. You know, it, it was just uh, Jesus speaking to to his church and just the fact that revelation was included in the title i guess uh, alerted all the search engines over the internet that you know it's okay for every every crazy theorist in the in the world to co- to contact me so you know i i realize that um, this is going to be uh it's going to open the door for a lot of uh, a lot of hate mail, a lot of uh, people telling me their views, and and that's fine. It's it's no big deal. If you ask five people about you know the revelation, you're going to get six or eight different interpretations. And so, you know that's fine. The reason that I initially had to begin studying the book uh, at the at the level that we're going to study it, which may not be conducive to some of you. So we'll just have to see as we go along. If you're expecting, you know, if you're expecting some science fiction adventure or a news report about the end of the world, you're going to be, you're going to be sadly mistaken because we're going to use the old Testament, which is what John uses to, uh, to decipher the, the symbolism that he uses in this apocalyptic literature that he writes. Um, but, uh, I, the reason that I had to, I had to, um, I had to bear down and really get in depth understanding how the Bible interpret 
interprets itself when we're dealing with this book was because uh, in the church where I served, um, this has been years ago, um, a, a lady decided that she was uh, going to have a Bible study on Revelation. And, you know, of course, that's going to bring the crowd. You know, if I if I put on the sign, we're going to have a Bible study this weekend on Leviticus, and, you know, nobody's going to show up. But but you put Revelation on the sign and oh, my goodness, you know, you're going to have the whole the whole town come in. And anyway, so we she decided to do that. And she had some of the nuttiest interpretations uh, of these this symbol or that symbol. I mean, it was it was it was probably something she read in a book somewhere, you know. So I mean, there's no end to there's no end to the speculation about what this means and and, and what that means. But um, so the reason that I had to get into it because I had to I had to refute some uh, r- real wackiness, you know. I mean, there are people that. Uh, believe differently than me believe revelation the symbols mean thing different things than what i'm going to walk you through um but you know we can have disagreements about those things and you know i I don't break fellowship with people over end times whatever you know i mean it's just foolishness but the 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 problem is that this topic is so emotional i mean it's so emotional if 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 you challenge uh, the belief that, uh, you know, grandma taught me from the time I was, I was three years old about anything uh, to do with, um, the end times or, or anything like that. Um, you are going to get a backlash. I mean, you're going to get, I, I'm already seeing it. And this is the very first audio that I've, uh, I'm going to be posting on the book of revelation. I'm just, I'm really just going to take this time, this, um, this initial audio to introduce you to, uh, the book of Revelation to give you some terms that you're going to need to know as we as we walk through it and just kind of give you the methodology that we're going to use as we walk through the book. Um, you uh, I'm not going to um, I'm I'm hoping I'm going to do my best to not just say this means that and not give you a reason as to why I'm saying that. You know, a lot of people say, well, this symbol means this and, you know, the the picture of uh the son of man with the, the 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 feet of brass means that he's really strong you know okay well that's great you know and it possibly could but i want to know why you're saying it means that you know don't just tell me that's what it means i want to know why it means that and so what i hope to do um you know before i before i die you know i hope to be able to walk through all of the scripture in in, in these audio lessons chapter by chapter you know whether i do them on my own or in in the class that i teach at church or from the pulpit i'm fortunate enough to get to to get to preach every sunday and and to handle god's word so with that in mind i was i was really hoping <laughs> To be honest, that I was going to get to put Revelation off for a little while, you know, because it's just, uh, you know, it's just so emotional and everybody's going to have their thing, you know. But as I was praying about what to do next and the more I see uh, really strange interpretations of Revelation in the Old Testament, I think it would be, excuse me, I think it would be a good idea to, to just go ahead and walk through the book now. Um, and, and what I really hope to do as we, we begin studying this book, uh, you know, of course, besides hearing God speak to, to his church as he does in all of scripture, um, is for you to see how biblical exegesis works. Exegesis is one of those terms that I said you're going to need to know. Um, the best thing you can do right now is get you a pen and piece of paper. I'm going to try to make outlines for the 
uh, for each chapter, each section of the chapters that we go through. Um, but uh, you, you definitely have to have a pen and a, and a notebook handy uh, because uh, we're going to be we're going to be approaching Revelation in a way that it's a shame that you probably you know you may have never uh, uh, come at the book with this approach using the Old Testament to interpret John's Old Testament symbols. It's a shame that you you, you know most people don't do that, but that is the that is the correct way to to read Revelation. So what what I really hope to do is. Uh, for you to see how biblical exegesis works. Exegesis means put it, pulling out of Scripture what God has put into it. Uh, and the, the, the contrast to that is eisegesis. Eisegesis means uh, you put your own meanings into it. You read into the text what you want to read. And, and so uh, what we want to do is exegete the Scripture, and we want to use uh, John's uh, cultural and Old Testament framework to do that. That's what he's speaking from. So as we walk through the book, you may not agree with everything that I say, and that's fine. You know, you may not agree with uh, my interpretation on this point or that point. You know, and, and most of the things we're going to be talking about. Um, well, I was going to say they don't hinge on gospel issues, but that's probably not the case. This is a book of scripture, just like Romans, just like Thessalonians, just like the gospels themselves. And so it is it is intended for us to uh, to be instructed, to be reproved, to equip us in righteousness, that we would be equipped for every good work. It's just like all of the rest of scripture. But there will be things, you know, uh, peripheral things uh, in the book that you, you may not agree um, with uh, with what I say or, or how I reach that conclusion. Uh, but, you know, that's fine. But what I want to do is I want to make sure at every point, at every point that's possible, and, and I hope I, I, I hope I don't fail at doing it. I'm going to try my hardest to, to make sure that every point I tell you how I came to my conclusion. And I want you to use that model uh, of how we are going to do biblical exegesis. I want you to use that model to interpret the rest of Scripture. It's been my, as I've talked through the book of Revelation before, it's been my experience that when people understand, you know, this is not something for ivory tower scholars. You know, this is not something that you have to, uh, you know, you have to be uh, fluent in the original languages, you know, although that, of course, helps. But, you know, it's not something that it's something that you as a, a, a regular believer, you can interpret your Bible. You don't need a shelf full of commentaries. Of course, uh, taking with that the fact that if you come up with this new interpretation that nobody's ever heard before in 2,000 years of church history, um, you're probably wrong. So uh, taking that into consideration, uh, most people think to be honest, most people think Revelation is just a mystery that we'll never we'll never uncover. And of course, there are mysterious things about it. There are things in it we still, um, you know, I could say we're not exactly sure what this means. And I'll be sure to tell you that I'm not going to uh, we're not going to go through this book as if, um, you know, this means that and this means that. And uh, without any kind of evidence, any kind of pattern to to trace down where we got that interpretation and how the Bible itself is telling us what this means. Um, we're not going to we're not going to do that. And if at any point and there will be points through Revelation at any point where, or where the there are divergence of opinion, 
Uh, now, we can't do it for everything because, you know, there's a divergence of opinion with every piece of the book. But uh, it, it, at every point where, you know, I, I feel like it's relevant or you probably need to know, we're going to talk about different views. We're going to talk about uh, the uh, strengths and weaknesses of, of different views and all that kind of stuff. See, the book of Revelation, it contains more pictures and allusions to the Old Testament than all the other New Testament books combined. Uh, so right from the beginning, I'm, I'm going to tell you that if you're looking for, you know, a quick and easy way to decipher uh, all the symbols that John uses in Revelation, uh, this study is not going to be for you. You know, if you if you want to if you want the science fiction left behind movie uh, take on what this means and that and, and like you think this is going to be a, a, a you know, a novel that walks through the uh, the the events play by play like a news report. Um, this is probably not going to be for you. You're probably not going to enjoy this. You know, when you say, hey, we're working through Revelation, everybody gets all excited. Ooh, we're going to talk about dragons and seven-headed beasts and stuff like that. But the reality is the Old Testament is the interpretive grid by which we understand what John is teaching. And, you know, that's not as fun. <laughs> that's not as fun for most people. It's it's exciting to me, you know, but it's not as fun for most people. Uh, but we're also going to see that, you know, in the rest of the New Testament, that's also true. Whenever whenever a New Testament author quotes or alludes to an Old Testament text, the student of the Bible, you and I, that's the, the believers. That's me and you. That's not the scholars. That's not just the preachers, not just the Sunday school teachers and the, and the seminary professors. But you and I, as, as, as uh, lovers of God's word, we have to go back to the text that's being quoted. We have to understand that Old Testament text in the context that it was being used used and then we come back and we can ass assess how the the new testament author is using the text now already i can you know i i can i can sense that you know if i were listening to me i, I would sense like whoa what this is not really what i what i signed up for you know i, I i'm not going to be um <clears throat> i'm not going to be learning all all this all this highbrow language and all this kind of things well if that's uh, if that's what you're you're thinking, what I what I'm telling you is we're going to we're going to use some brain power. We're going to use uh, we're going to use some brain power in this study. We're not going to take the easy road and, and and just you know write a little pamphlet about the end times. And you know people have you know that's been done. That's been done. You go into your Christian bookstore and you know you you'll find shelves and shelves and shelves of of uh how prophecy is is uh being fulfilled today and all those things and and no doubt that it is i'm not saying that you know i, I i'm a firm believer in the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture and so you know biblical prophecy is real and but the the problem that we have is that the same the same texts that are being used today to say this proves that you know the end is uh, is at hand were the texts that were being used during World War II that's where they said the end is at hand this proves it you know and so we need to not understand it based on our having a Bible in one hand turned to Revelation and a newspaper of current events in the Middle East on the other hand and trying to say well you know trying to match up current events with biblical prophecy what we need to do is we need to understand how the bible interprets itself um there are i, I haven't counted them up so this is not my figure i was uh, i read this in a in another work but 
it said that you know out of the 404 verses in, in the in the book of revelation something like 275 276 of them are direct or indirect allusions to the old testament so that's two-thirds of the book two-thirds of the book is pointing toward uh prophecies or or text in the old testament and it's doing it in order to teach us something um the first line of the book of revelation it says it's the revelation of jesus christ it's the apocalypsis of jesus christ it's not supposed to be hidden or secret or anything like that it's it's not supposed to be for those who are super spiritual uh able to discern the signs of the times and all those things interpreting the book is not based on secret knowledge or anything like that uh people who are rooted and grounded in the old testament scripture will have these pictures of old testament realities running through their mind as they read it and so the problem is for us here it's uh, 2016 uh, the problem is that it takes work. It takes work for us to get there because we're so far removed from that culture. We're so far removed from from that time. Um, we're, we're removed from the cultural setting in which John was writing in Asia Minor. We're removed from, you know, in in the, the times before the New Testament to be a, a Jewish man, a Jewish family, Jewish culture. You were raised, you were raised in these uh, Old Testament stories in the, I mean, these are things that you heard uh, from before you could talk. You were, you were steeped and rooted in these things It to mention, to mention or allude to something like uh, an Old Testament, you know, illusion of the Exodus or, or, or Abram, Abram on the mountain, you know, those, those things, they would have brought forth these images immediately. I, I heard an example one time, I'm kind of rambling on, but I heard an example one time that really illustrates what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, I didn't come up with it. I, and I can't remember where I heard it, but, uh, if you see, if you were to see a billboard today or a flyer, you know, on the sidewalk, um, and it had a symbol for America on it, maybe American flag or something like that. And underneath that symbol, you also saw a picture of an elephant and a donkey playing tug, tug of war, uh, pulling on a rope against each other. Uh, what, what do you think that that's symbolizing? I mean, do you need help interpreting that symbol? You probably don't because you live in this culture. You're saturated with those images. Uh, you know implicitly what they mean. You, you would automatically know that this is a picture of the two political parties, the Democrats, Republicans, vying for the control of the government or, or vying for their policy. You know, you, you would know that image. Um, I have been seeing church signs. This is presidential uh, election year. And... Uh, for those of you that may be listening, you know, on the podcast sometime in the future, uh, I've been seeing church signs that say, have the elephant and the donkey let you down, turn to the lamb. Well, we don't need help. We don't need help uh, understanding those symbols because they're so prevalent in our culture. You know, somebody, you know, might see that a thousand years from now they find a flyer with american symbol on it a donkey and an elephant a thousand years from now and they'll say you know oh they, they worshiped elephants or something you know they would have they would have to understand what those symbols mean in the cultural context of uh of our day for them to understand what was trying to be said and so now i realize that analogy is not perfect but the point i'm making is that it's going to take work for you and i to 
um, for you and I to get steeped in that culture and get steeped in the Old Testament word of God, the uh, what they what they learned from the very beginning of life. So let me give this disclaimer before we even begin talking about the revelation. The keys to understanding the book of Revelation are the Old Testament. Uh, if you've never at least read through every book of the Old Testament, then you need to shut this recording off and you need to go study. Because you're not prepared to understand what John is saying. Uh, I can tell you uh, this is alluding to that, you know, and this is uh, pointing back toward. But if you don't have a frame of reference for those things, and I realize that the Old Testament, it's a shame, but uh, it's not, uh, I was going to say it's not as popular, but, you know, people wouldn't, most of the people that are going to be listening to this, I think, are not going to deny that the Old Testament is Scripture. They're, they would surely affirm that. But um, to be honest, most of them don't derive much theology from the Old Testament. They they derive it all from from the New. It's just, to be honest, it's, it's, it's easier reading. It's easier reading. You don't have to do much work. You don't have to dig into the... Um, events which were going on when Isaiah was speaking you know it's it's easier just to just to uh you know to read the the you know the gospel of John or something like that and that that may not be true in every situation but you know if 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 you've never even at least read I'm talking about every book I'm talking about Habakkuk and uh and uh, Nehemiah and uh and you know the 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 little books Amos uh actually Amos bigger than um, Habakkuk, but uh, I'm talking about the prophets, the minor prophets, all those things. If you if you haven't at least read through those at some level, then you're not ready. You're not ready to study the Book of Revelation, and that is how that's what's gotten so so many people. Um, that's how what's gotten them into a lot of trouble. People, uh, Revelation can't be interpreted by looking at the news and trying to match events going on in the world. I mean, that's that's not how biblical interpretation is done. You don't do that with any other book. You don't do that with any prophecy. Uh, you know, in the in the the Old Testament, and you don't do it as John prophesies as. Uh, one of those prophets in the New Testament. Now, surely you can see the signs of the times. You can see that there are wars and rumors of wars. You can see, you know, the things that are going on. And you can say, you know what, I, I do believe that biblical prophecy is being fulfilled. I understand that. I get it. And I'm with you. I believe that, you know, I believe that the Bible uh, spoke uh, of things hundreds hundreds and hundreds of years before they happen prophecy is real i believe it and i believe it with all my heart i've based my life on it knowing that the old testament foretold christ before he ever appeared the old testament has foretold uh all kind of things including things about the end times so i'm not discounting any of that what i'm saying is that that is not how biblical interpretation and exegesis is done a fundamental principle. Here's another word you need to know. Uh, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of the controlling principles that guide interpretation. Fundamental principle of hermeneutics, which is how we study the Bible, uh, it, it's that Scripture interprets Scripture. The Bible is sufficient to identify its own meanings. I mean, the Holy Spirit has not left us to flounder around not understanding what he said. The problem is that we want explanations that are 140 characters or less. Uh, but serious study rarely works that way. So make no mistake, it's it's going to take some work. And I'm hoping that this will spur you to to start studying the Bible more seriously rather than just 
depending on people like me or your pastor to spoon feed you. Uh, I'm not discounting that role. I, I believe in preaching. I believe that that uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and I, I'm all in. I mean, I, I, get, I preach every Sunday, uh, but the reality is that uh, you have you have the responsibility to be discerning. God has blessed us in this time. Um, just immensely you have scripture at your fingertips you have tools uh, even if you don't have a shelf full of books you have tools um, on the internet you know granted you have to be very 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 careful about what you read on the internet all you need is a quarter uh, a phone line and a and a keyboard and you can put whatever you want on on the internet you know you might find out that the this best theology site that you keep referencing is uh, being written by a, a 12 year old in his underwear in his, in his mom's basement. So, but the reality is that you have, you have, we have more tools today to study God's word than we, than we've ever had before. And so all that being said, let me tell you how I plan to approach the study of the book, just so I can be right up front about it. And, you know, I'm not wasting your time. If this is not something you want to do, I, you know, I understand maybe you want to stop and come back to it later. Um, you know, as I said before, there there's literally hundreds of Old Testament references throughout uh, throughout Revelation. So um, it, I want to show you, you know, I don't want to just say, you know, OK, as we read this text, this comes from Daniel chapter three and then move on. Uh, and tell you what I think it means. I want to show you what Daniel chapter three is talking about, and how John is using the symbol. I just don't. I don't want to say. Well, this means it means, you know, like the what I referenced before. You know, the Son of Man with the feet of brass. Well, that means that he has strength. You know, he's very. You know, he's a the the strength of God, and that's referencing Daniel chapter three. And move on. That's not what we're going to be doing. What I want you, what I want to do is, I want to take you back to Daniel chapter three, um, and I want you to look at uh, at how John is using the exact phrase that Daniel used. This is just an example. He uses texts from Ezekiel and Zechariah and, and even uh, Exodus and throughout throughout Scripture. He uses Old Testament passages all over the place. But what I want to do is I want to take you back to those Old Testament texts. I want to read those texts in context, and I want to show you how John is applying them to um, to the vision that, that Christ is giving him. Um, that's what I hope to do. So, uh we will, in a sense, not just be walking through Revelation, but working through the Old Testament sections as well. Now, some of you are not going to find that as fun as talking about, you know, nuclear bombs and Black Hawk helicopters. And, and that's why I'm just kind of letting you know right up front. You know, if I if I can't substantiate my commentary, I, I'm going to tell you straight up, you know, this is something that, um, you know, that that we just don't know and there are elements in revelation where we are still unsure you know it could be this it could be that you know but the overall the overall message of the book is crystal clear it's crystal clear and most of i'm going to say most of the allusions are the allusions to the old testament are crystal clear and once you read the old testament passage in context it's going to be really hard for you to misinterpret what john's trying to say so like i said that's what i'm going to try to do but you need to know right up front that you know the deeper we get into the book 
the the thicker the symbolism is going to get. And what what I mean by that is, um, you know, the first three chapters are, are going to be simple. I mean, they're not going to be simple, but they're going to be easy to understand, easy to follow. Uh, the first chapter is the initial calling of uh, of. Uh, uh, of John, he's going to see the Son of Man walking amongst the churches. The symbols there are going to be interpreted for us. John is going to ask the angel, "What does this mean?" And the angel is going to tell him what they mean. And, and so the, they're, they're kind of interpreted for us. We don't have to do any guesswork. We don't have to, you know, look back and wonder what this is. And then the chapter two and three are the letters to the churches, which we're going to get into some cultural things that you, the, of that day that John was writing to those churches, which were actual churches in uh, in Asia Minor. You know, they weren't church ages or something like that. They were actual uh, churches, but. We get to chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 10. We're going to work through those symbols, looking at the Old Testament symbols and the cultural context of the first century. Um, but it's going to be a little more, it's going to be a little more intense, a little more difficult. And you need to know right up front that as we get to chapter 18, 19, 20, uh, we are going to be entering some of the most debated passages about the meaning of John's vision and the depth of the symbolism is going to be um, it, it's going to be not as easily discernible as you know the deeper we get into the book the further we get into the book um, the more um, the more uh, debatable the symbols are we're going to find that they are let me tell you what i mean by that i mean it may shock you to know that throughout the course of church history the greatest debate that has raged regarding the the revelation has not been about the identity of the beast or the two witnesses or the numbers 666 and remember it's one number 666 that's one number it's not three numbers it's not 666 it's one number 666 so uh but that those things have not been the most debated issue the most debated issue about the book of revelation hands down throughout the throughout church history is about the millennium about the thousand years spoke of in revelation 20 so right up front i'm telling you that we're going to come across passages like that and we're going to talk about the debate we're going to talk about what this this side over here believes we're going to talk about what that side over there believes we're going to talk about different ways that they come about their interpretation so in these cases i'm going to tell you i'm going to tell you what i believe and why i believe it but i'm you know i'm going to try my best to accurately represent the the other viewpoints as well not just dismiss them out of hand um and like i said you you may disagree with me you may have uh issues about this or that please don't start emailing me and and, and posting things i i get it i get it it's an emotional issue it, it's something that people have really uh latched on to and to be honest with you to be honest with you um it's almost uh, there there was a, a heresy in the early church called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism was, this don't have anything to do with Revelation. I'm just kind of comparing. What Gnosticism was, was it was, uh, among other things, there was a lot of, lot of elements of it. But uh, one, of the most, one of the most definitional things of Gnosticism was that, you know, you have this secret knowledge, you know, that, that nobody else has. And that gives me a higher spirituality. To be honest with you, people look at Revelation this way. They, they think that if, if they found the secret, 
secret. You know, if they found the uh, the the incorrect interpretation or whatever, that that gives me a you know that gives me kind of a higher spirituality. That gives me a higher uh, capacity to understand the Bible. And you know, you you peons down there who who are still thinking you know, that that is not what we're going to do. And if if that is um, if if that's the way your heart leans when we when you talk about revelation and when you think about the symbols you you need to repent of that before we even before we even begin because uh, the reality is for us who are in our cultural context it is hard to it's hard to understand not because it's hidden or secret or anything like that it's because we don't take the time to um to uh invest ourselves in the old testament the book was meant to be understood and here's what i want you to see it was not just meant to be understood and believed it was meant to be obeyed right at the beginning we're told in revelation that the one who reads this letter and the and the ones who hear it notice that the one who reads it singular and the ones who hear it plural uh, they're blessed if they keep what is written. I said the singular and the plural because this was a letter that was read out in the church. Uh, one would stand up and uh, people would hear it. And But it says you're blessed if you keep what is written within. And this should alert you right up front that the, you know, the, the, this is not just a book for us to scour in order to discern how the world's going to end. You know, it's just like all the other scripture. It's profitable for correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And we will see this in a message for the church. You know, we, there, this is a message for the church about what we are supposed to be in this world as we await Christ's return. The book was never meant to be a play-by-play just so you can figure out the knowledge of, of how the world's going to end. It was meant for us to obey it. It was meant for those first century Christians who first received it in Asia Minor. It was meant for the Christians in the Middle Ages to receive it and obey it. It's meant for us today to receive and obey it. And I got news for you. If the world keeps spinning for another thousand years, it's going to be relevant to those people at that time as well. So before we even crack the binding on on our Bibles, I'm going to use this first lesson just to give you an introduction to talk about the date setting and define some terms that we're going to be using through the study. If you've decided that this is something you want to do, great. You know, I'm suggesting you get a notebook and a pen as well as your own Bible and follow along with each lesson. I'm going to be giving you terms you may not know. I'm going to be referencing texts that you will need to write down. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of them. I know some folks like to listen to these things while they're walking or driving, and that's fine. But you need to make sure that you use these for your own study. Don't just take my word for some stuff and say, well, Jason said this, you know, uh, I'm not the authority. Uh, you need to check all the scripture that we reference. I have been known to make mistakes, say Exodus 34, 4, when I meant 43, 3. You know, I've been known to make mistakes like that. So you need to check those things. You need to make sure to understand all the comments that we're making. Don't just take my word for it. So doing this is what, you know, taking people's word for it is what, what's gotten Christians into the, the mess that they're in when it comes to you know, the revelation. So I'm going to 
you know, if like I said, I'm going to tell you if the if the dragon represents Satan, which is you know that's what John explicitly says, so that's an easy one. But if the dragon represents Satan, I'm going to make sure that I tell you why the dragon represents Satan, and the answer is easy because John says so. But you know those things that are not interpreted for us, I'm going to make sure to tell you why this is this symbol is pointing to this reality. So get a pen. I'm going to give you some terms here that you may not be familiar with. Um, first thing is that the author I'm taking for granted that the author is the apostle John. There's a huge debate about that. There are books written all about, is it this John or that John? I'm dismissing that entire debate because, you know, I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's relevant. I don't think it's relevant. The apostle John wrote it historically uh, throughout the church. The apostle John's been cited as the author. Um, you know, he was exiled. The guy, the John that wrote revelation said that he was exiled to the Island of Patmos. And we know the apostle John was exiled to the Island of Patmos. So, you know, I, I'm just dismissing that whole debate out of hand. If you want to argue that, uh, go somewhere else. Thank you very much. Um, and so the date of revelation, when it was written, now that's a different story, uh, because, um, answering the question of when revelation was written is going to be really important to our interpretation. So I'm not going to get too deep into it right now, because if I do, to be honest with you, I'm going to give away, I'm going to give away my position. So let me explain the positions first. I'm going to give you some terms that you may not know that you probably need to be aware of uh, before we get into, into revelation. And then we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about the, the date of revelation. Um, was term that you need to know that I'm going to use quite often is uh, eschatology. That's uh, uh, eschatos means the last, the last, it's uh, last things. Uh, so eschatology is the study of the last things. I mean, simple as that. So when I say something is eschatological, that means it's it's uh, pertaining to the end, pertaining to the last thing. So uh, when I say Jesus is an eschatological Messiah, what I mean by that is that he is the end time Messiah that will stand in victory and bring the new creation about all kind of things. So I'm going to try not to use big scholarly language because um, that doesn't help anybody. I was listening to a, uh, a lecture the other day in uh, on Leviticus, and it was just you know uh, unless you're steeped in that, unless you've uh, you understand the uh, the nuances of uh, all of those a lot of those words. It, it's it's I mean it just I mean it makes you sound like you're, you're really smart and you're making sure everybody knows about it. Um, so I'm going to try not to do that, but eschatology is something that you're going to see in a lot of different places. So you need to know that word. That means the study of uh, uh, of last things. And so you need to know that word. Um, there are basically four views of um, the interpretation, how revelation should be interpreted. And so I'm going to give you those four views. Um, I'm going to try my best not to show my hand as to which view that, that what well, to be honest, I, I kind of take a melding of, of some of the views. So it's kind of hard to put me in a, in a camp. I'm just going to take you where the Bible takes us, you know, and of course all these people would say that. So I'm not demeaning any of these views. There have been, there have been smart, intelligent, godly, uh, people who have held all of these views. So this is not a, not a reason to break fellowship with somebody. If you're 
you're in a church and your pastor holds a view different than maybe the view that I hold that does not mean that he's not a godly man or that I'm not a godly man or that he's not saved or that you, it doesn't mean that he's not biblically literate or anything like that. It, what it means is that there you can hold, we can disagree about eschatological things. There I use the word again. We can disagree about the end times and still maintain fellowship as long as we are united in Christ, knowing that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through him. As long as we are uh, united in the essentials of Christian doctrine, we can disagree about we can disagree about how the world's going to end or how Jesus is going to consummate his kingdom, and we can still maintain fellowship. So this study through Revelation is not going to be a, uh, you know, you better not take it to your, you know, pastor or Sunday school ta- teacher and, and slap it down on the table and say, you've been teaching me wrong all the, you know, you need to understand that these things are, um, these things are peripheral issues. Uh, we're going to agree on the basic message, message of Revelation that, you know, we win. The, the, the lamb defeats the evil in the world. There's a new creation. The curse is gone. Uh, fallen nature of man is gone. The, the, you know, all those things are undone. We're going to agree on, on the essentials of Christian doctrine. And so this is not a reason to break fellowship. Um, the first is the first view. I'm going to give you four views. The first view is called the historicist view, uh, the historicist view. And this view, um, it, it interprets Revelation as kind of like a survey of all of church history. Now, we probably aren't going to spend much time talking about this as we work through the book of Revelation because, to be honest, n- nobody holds that view anymore. But you need to know that, well, I guess the Seventh-day Adventists, they hold that view. But you should know and you should be aware that this was a widely held view among Christians uh, throughout church history during the Reformation. And through, you know, if you look, if you pick up a commentary today, a published commentary by uh, people like uh, Matthew Henry or Martin Luther or, or someone like that, this is the view that you're going to get. I mean, it is a it was a. Uh, um, the commentaries that uh, contain this view are still being published today. You know, they're still being uh, used by people today. And so, and they were some, you know, Gr- Matthew Henry's commentary when I was first converted, I mean, it, it helped me to no end. So I'm not going to discount, you know, I'm, just because I disagree with his view on the end times, I'm not going to, that is an excellent commentary and it's, uh, it's really affordable. And that was important to me when I first, when I was first converted. And so, um, you're going to see that. And it views it views uh, Revelation as a survey of church history. What that means is like the seven seals are, you know, interpreted as the barbarian invasion of Rome, you know, in the f- four and five hundreds. And, and the locusts with the scorpion's tails, they're the Arabs who invaded the, you know, and the beast is the papacy. And, and so what it does is it just kind of walks through church history. It walks through church history and the history of the world uh, showing, you know, this is this is that this is when this happened and this is when this happened but it's not just a it's not just a um a fulfillment in uh uh you know a fulfillment in a particular uh, event it's 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 showing a uh god is giving us a um would be the best way to put it he's giving us a you know an overview of what all of history will be like 
until the end comes. And so that's what the historicist view um, it says. And like I said, nobody today holds to that view. I, there may be some, but most most people don't hold to that view. But it is it was popular, so we need to mention it at least. Um, the second view is called the preterist view, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T, preterist. Uh, and preterist just means it means past. And so what this view says is that, that the fulfillment of revelation has happened, in, for the most part, in the past. It was fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, the, the events that you see are symbolic representations of God uh, destroying the the temple the city of Jerusalem and biblical Judaism. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, biblical Judaism did not survive the destruction of the temple in in uh, A.D. 70 when the Romans came and and uh, laid siege to the city for three and a half years. There's still Judaism today, but it's not biblical Judaism. They don't sacrifice. There's no temple. There's no you know. And so um, a preterist would see most of Revelation being fulfilled. Now there is a heretical. There is a heretical version of preterism called full preterism, which believes that everything's taking place. You know, Christ has already returned. We're in the new creation right now. And uh, I don't think that's we're not going to talk much about that because there's absolutely no way to substantiate that. And and even Paul, you know, said in in one of his writings that he was a he was a. a uh, Alexander, I think it was he. He was turning these guys over because they said that the uh, the resurrection had already taken place. But what we're going to talk about is what's called partial preterism, and that would see uh, chapters, mainly chapters four through um, around nineteen, um, or maybe the beginning of twenty, uh, fulfilled in the uh, the judgment uh, of of Jerusalem and the. Uh, the the persecution of the Christians by you know in the first century and those kind of things. Now you may not have heard that or heard of that <clears throat> interpretation, but it's not new. It's been around. It's been around forever. You know, it's just it's not the predominantly uh, held uh, interpretation today. But it is uh, by no means novel. It's by no means new. And you know we're going to look we're going to look deeply into it. Uh, the third is the futurist. The futurist. There are different kinds of futurists. But what basically this is probably the one you're going to be most familiar with. It says that everything from chapter four on is is to be fulfilled in the future. Uh, most of there's two kinds. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into them right now because i haven't explained you know w when we start talking about the millennium we'll 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 get into deeper detail but there's historic premillennialism which um you know it, it's everything's in the future but they do believe that uh the church is the fulfillment of of god's spiritual israel and all those kind of things and there's also dispensational premillennialism you know and as though i know those are mouthfuls that's why i told you to get a pen uh, dispensational premillennialism believes that uh, God has two separate people, Israel and the church. There are two separate destinies for those two people, and there's two separate plans for those two people. And we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But the futurist view basically sees everything in the future. Nothing has been fulfilled yet. You know, after we get past the letters to the churches, everything's in the future. That's probably the one that's predominantly um, most widely held today. And so. Um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna look at that as well. The fourth is the idealist. Some people call it the spiritual view. Uh, I like the way Greg Beale terms it. He says it's the re redemptive historical view. 
Um, and, and what this view holds, the idealist, the spiritual view, is that there are transcendent themes throughout the book of Revelation that are applicable to every generation of the believer. It's not that it's not just there is a there is a real sense in which in which it was relevant to the actual audience that received the letters, you know, the seven churches in Asia Minor. There's a real sense where John was, Jesus was giving John the vision in order to let them know about specific events, about things that would happen in their lifetime. But, you know, there are transcendent realities and future events as well toward the end of revelation there are transcendent realities in all of it that applies to every every generation um you know what we're going to see is that uh, in this view they have you know the reference to which they ex- they speak to the churches in the first century um they're written principally for them but they're written they're written to them but they're written for all generations and it's going to culminate in the final generation of believers as we come to the end and so what this view makes sure to do is to to let us know that um you know we we read this like we would uh romans or corinthians it was written to an actual church the church at rome the book of romans was um it was written to an actual church uh, about real situations, about real things that were going, but there are there are biblical and um, uh, Christological principles that we can use um, that are meant for all generations. So Revelation speaks to us today just as authoritatively as it spoke to those first century Christians. And if the world keeps spinning for another thousand years, it's going to speak just as authoritatively authoritatively to though that generation as it will to ours and of course we do know for a fact that there will be a final generation when christ returns all things are made new and it will speak to that generation uh, as well and so i want to make sure that we i've probably already gone i've probably already gone too long i'm going to hold off on the date uh basically there's two there's two um, there's two views as to when Revelation was written. You're either going to say it was written before A.D. 70, and there are some really good arguments for that, or you're going to say it was written around 92, 95, uh, and there are some good arguments for that. Um, the The problem with the interpretation, what I was telling you before about the date, is that if you hold the preterist view, which says that these things, uh, um, uh, most of the the judgments that we see are going to be fulfilled in the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem, which lasted 42 months uh, exactly, and uh, it was uh, uh, probably the most cataclysmic thing to ever happen in the in the in the the history of Israel. But uh, if you see that as the fulfillment, then you know you. Uh, you pretty much have to have a pre-70 date because it happened in 70. John's not going to be writing a prophecy in 95 about what happened back in 70. Uh, and if you see that as written in in 90, you know, in 95, uh, under the reign of Domitian, which was the Roman emperor at the time, then you're, you've already dismissed the, the preterist view out of hand. Uh, Nero was the, the Caesar under... Um, when not in 70 he was dead by then but uh as as john is writing these things if he wrote them pre-70 then nero would be the caesar that that's going on so the last two things you need to know before we close this there there's some good arguments for both sides of those dates so i'm not discounting either one uh and i'm not going to tip my hand as to tell you you know what i think uh before we actually get into the text 
Um, but what you do need to know is that this was definitely written. It is. It's there's three three types of literature that we see in Revelation. Number one is apocalyptic literature, and if you followed me through uh, Zechariah, you already know about apocalyptic literature. It's uh, uh, it's uh, highly symbolic. It's highly. Um, it's hard for modern readers to grasp the the genre, to be quite honest. But uh, it's apocalyptic literature. It's uh, it's part epistle. John writes it as a letter to these churches. So in that sense, it's just like all the other epistles, you know, um, and uh, it's uh, it's prophecy. It claims to be it's the only letter in the New Testament. It's the only book in the New Testament that actually claims this book is a prophecy. And so there are those three types of, uh, of genre and we're going to have to read them you know we're going to have to read them in that in that framework you can't pick up you know you can't pick up a a, a prophecy or or poetry and read it in the same way you would historical narrative it just doesn't it just doesn't follow it doesn't work and so what we're going to see is that because it's a prophecy because it's apocalyptic literature which was very prevalent at the time especially between the old and new testament and the intertestamental period uh jewish writers were putting out apocalyptic literature left and right so it was a very popular genre at the time you know not so much today and so we're going to have to get back into that mindset of of those of those writers and what they did was they used they used layers and layers and layers of symbolism and so we're going to have to we're going to have to unpack all that it doesn't mean we're not reading the bible i am a literalist i believe the bible means literally what it says but in saying that you have to interpret figurative language figuratively for instance jesus says i am the door now if we read that literally we jesus is claiming to be a piece of wood with hinges on it uh, no, we know what Jesus meant when he said that. I mean, it's obvious we know what he meant. Um, that is something Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, uh, parabolically as he talked about the, you know, uh, you know, I'm the I'm the vine, I'm the door, of the sheepfold, I'm the, you know, he talked about all those kind of things. And so we interpret it in the in the context of the way he said it. Well, we're going to have to interpret Revelation the same way. Um, saying that Satan is a dragon doesn't mean that, you know, he is flying around with big wings and breathing fire on people. That's not the intention of, of the, of the author. That's not what, uh, apocalyptic literature does. He's telling us that Satan is like a dragon and he's, he's going to unpack that symbolism for us. So we need to make sure that we understand as we enter, I mean, from the very first chapter, we're going to see. I mean, we're going to have symbols interpreted for us. So we're not going to have to do a whole lot of work in the first chapter because he says he saw one like a son of man walking among the candlesticks, you know, walking among the lampstands. And he's going to ask, what are these lampstands? And the, the, the angel is going to tell John, these are the seven churches, you know. And so and then, the you know, the the star, seven stars in the first chapter are the angels of the seven churches. And we'll unpack that as we get into it. But you're going to have to understand that. That these are there's going to be a heavy layer of symbolism uh, throughout the book of Revelation that we're going to have to we're going to have to unpack. And so we're going to do it consistently and we're going to do it based on the Old Testament pictures. 
We're not going to make up our own, you know, interpretations to try to fit into the symbols John uses. We're going to use them from the Old Testament. And the last thing you need to know before we before we go on this episode is that um, this was le- these this was a letter that was written to seven actual churches: church at Smyrna, at Sardis, at Ephesus, Laodicea, Philadelphia. Um, these were actual churches that received this letter. Um, a lot of people interpret the first, uh, the second, third chapter to the churches as, you know, epochs in church history. You know, this church is part, you know, this is the Middle Ages and represents this one. These were actually seven churches dealing with things in the first century that John wrote to. So we're going to have to get into that. We're going to have to get into the, the culture in which they lived. So if this is something you want to do, I'm excited. I'm going to be posting outlines. Um, it, it's a uh, it's a little harder to outline Revelation than it is to outline something like uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians or something like that. So uh, bear with me on the outlines. If there's anything that uh, that uh, you don't understand, you can contact me through the website jasonbalada.com. Um, please don't send me your whatever. You know I've I, I've heard it all before. And if I haven't heard it before and nobody's heard it through all church history, you know, you're probably wrong. And so uh, don't give me your your gripes and your your whatever. Don't send me any emails about joining the Illuminati or blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is a this is a biblical study. and We're going to approach it biblically. Um, and so that's what I hope to do. So I, I hope you uh, I hope you uh, are blessed by it. I hope you're edified by it. And I hope you do remember that this is not a. This is not a puzzle that we're putting together. This is not a, a a road map that I'm going to show you the secret to or anything like that. This is a book of scripture, and it is uh, it's the point of this book is just like the point of every other book. It's to reveal to us the person, the work uh, of Jesus Christ, and to uh, bring us into greater fellowship with Him. And if at any time we get off of that purpose for scripture, we have left the author's intention and the Holy Spirit's intention in inspiring the book.